Romans chapter 12. Um, while I was preparing uh, for this message today and for the, for the, the sermon this morning, um, I came across an interesting website um, that specializes in payback. Uh, what I mean by that is they specialize in um, doing offering services that uh, you can employ them to do uh, that would offer payback on your enemies. And, and when I say that, it's not maybe the way you're thinking. They would, they offered, um, let, let me give you some examples. Like they might mail a package um, of glitter that when it's opened in an office would explode and glitter would just go everywhere in their office. Or they might send annoying text messages uh, to your enemy, or they might add your enemy's uh, email address to every spam list that they can find, or they might make untraceable phone calls just to annoy uh, the person. They would even go so far as to send an annoying singogram to them at work. Uh, one, one in particular was a grown man dressed in a diaper uh, and a hat and would come to your office and sing to you to embarrass you. And so this, this website offered uh, these kinds of services. And no, I will not tell you the name of the website. And uh, I will not give you any more of their services because the more money you paid, the more services you got. Okay, uh, and, But that, I couldn't believe that there was a, a company that made their livelihood on the idea of payback. Um, and I, I begin to wonder, how does someone make enough money doing something like that to make a living? And then I'm reminded and remember why. Because payback is what we like to get when we've been hurt or when we've been wronged or when we've been angered. We want to repay them for what they did. That's what we want to do. But is that what we're supposed to do as believers? As Christians, are we supposed to be that way? Now, some may think that that's a silly question to ask church members, but I'll just tell you in all honesty, in my experience, some of the worst retaliations I've ever seen came inside the church. The way people pay back one another inside the church walls have been pretty bad in some of the cases that I've seen. And so this morning, what we're doing is we're concluding a series that we've been looking at for the last five weeks called Transformed. And in this series, we've been looking at the idea of, of the fact that the Bible tells us that as Christians, we're to live lives that are to be transformed, and that transformation comes by the renewing of our minds. Now, that's the first thing we looked at, and then we saw how that plays out. We've seen that when your mind's being renewed, it affects the way you view yourself, it affects how you view others. It affects how you love others. Um, and then last week, we, we saw how it affects the way we serve the Lord. And so this morning, we're going to continue by looking at this idea of payback because that's the next idea that Paul says will happen if you're being transformed by the renewing of your mind, the next way that it's evident is in the way we view our enemies. So if you have your Bibles open in Romans chapter 12, I'm going to ask if you would just stand with me for the reading of God's word this morning. We're going to start in verse 14, and we're going to move down through verse 21. The word of God says in Romans chapter 12, verse 14, Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. 
Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Verse 17, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink, for in so doing you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. God, I pray today as we examine your word, I pray that you would speak to us where we are individually. I pray that I would decrease and that your spirit living in me would increase and the words would be shared would be your words today and not mine. Father, I pray that you would just overwhelm us with how we are to respond to our enemies. Father, as Christians in a culture that is becoming more and more combative towards biblical and Christian principles, we're going to come under attack. And how we respond is very, very important. And Father, it's not just in our culture, it's in our individual lives, it's in, uh, when, just in our friendships, our, our, even in our church family. Um, we don't always agree, and how we respond is very important. It's important to you, therefore it needs to be important to us. And I'm thankful for your word this morning that gives us the truths that we need to see, and I pray that we would all see them in the manner in which you intend for us to today as our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So, so Paul has he's made this idea that, that when you, when you are, are, are a Christian, you're to be transformed, your mind's to be renewed, that affects how you view self, how you love others, how you serve the Lord, and then he immediately in verse 14 starts off by telling us how we should respond to our enemies. He says, bless those who persecute you and do not curse. And this morning, our text in from verses 14 all the way down through verse 21 paul outlines three truths for us about payback for the christian or the christians payback towards their enemies and i want to give them to you this morning the first truth that he tells us is found in verse 14 and it is the idea that we are to bless them the idea that we are to bless them. Now, that word bless has a couple different meanings, and I think they're both applicable here, so I want to give you both of them. The first meaning, to bless, according to the, to the language in which it was written, to bless in that manner meant to praise or celebrate with praise or to speak well of. And so what Paul is telling them, therefore, is that the, tra- the change is that we, as believers, are to bless them, bless those who persecute us by, by speaking well about them. Now, this is something that is most difficult, because I don't know about you, but when I'm persecuted or when I'm talked about or when someone says something bad about me or angers me or embarrasses me or hurts me, the, the, I'm not really all that interested in saying nice things about them. I mean, is that not Am I the only one that has a problem with that? I mean, is it so much easier just to go and run them down to someone else? Isn't that the easy thing? Isn't that what the world tends to do? But Paul says that's not what we're to do. Instead of running them down and talking down about them, we're to speak well of them. Now, I want you to know that is terribly difficult to do. Now, we're going to talk about that in a little more in a minute. But that's the first thing that Paul says. He tells us exactly that we are to bless, that we're to speak well of those who persecute us. And then he says 
that we are to, to set them apart or consecrate them in prayer. Look at verse 14 again. Or Sorry, I'm sorry. Jump down to um, verse 18. Oh, I'm sorry. That, just, just skip that because I just went completely blank. Okay, the second way that that word bless is defined is to consecrate or to set apart in prayer. Okay, and so not only does it mean to speak well of, but it also means to set apart in prayer. Now, most of us have no problem praying for our enemies. I mean, we don't. When someone persecutes us, someone wrongs us, someone angers us, someone hurts us, uh, someone speaks about, bad about us, we don't tend to have problems with praying for our enemies, but more than likely our prayers don't resemble the type of prayer that Paul's talking about here. More than likely, our prayers more likely resemble that of a little child running to their dad saying, go get them. Dear God, get them, sick them. That's what we want to do. Do you see what they did to me, God? I'm your child. I claim that in the name of Jesus. Go get them. And that's the way we want to pray. We want God to get them. And that's the way we pray. But the way that Paul speaks about in prayer here is not that type of prayer. This is the type of prayer that sets them apart and is asking God to bless them. Asking God to do something favorable to them. Again, that's not easy. When we're persecuted, blessing, it's very difficult to speak well of someone doing that. It's even more difficult, I think, to go to prayer and ask God to bless them that are doing those things to us. But again, that's what Paul is telling us to do. So how are we to do this? How, how do we get to the point where we as believers can come to a point where when we're persecuted, Instead of talking down on someone or speaking negatively about them, we, we begin to speak well about them. And then when we pray, it's not so much God get them, it's more like God bless them. How do we get to a point where we can bless our enemies? Well, that's where it comes into play this morning in our whole context of the series. I want you to know doing that is impossible unless you have a mind that's being renewed. If your mind is not being renewed, if you are still continually living with a mindset of the old self, if you're continually living with the mindset of the way of the world that you had before you come to Christ, this is impossible. You will never get to the point where you can bless someone like that, especially those who persecute you, if your mind is still wrapped around the same things and believes the same way that the world does. But Paul goes to great lengths that already told us that we're to be transformed. We're not to be like the world we're to be renewed by the trans by the renew or we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind he goes further to say in other books of scripture where he tells us the the old has passed away behold everything is new that we have a new life in christ whereby our minds are supposed to be being conformed to the image of christ and that's when we are able to do this and how do i know because that's the way jesus prayed when Jesus was on the cross of Calvary and he's been beaten and he's been persecuted and he's been um, just horribly treated on the cross, what was his prayer? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. 
When our minds are transformed and become like Christ, then we can bless our enemies, and only then. And so without a transformed mind, we will never come to the point where we will be able to bless someone like that. When I was a youth pastor at Lone Grove, I had a I had brother, a group of brothers, one was in college, one was in my youth group, and um, the one that was in college is actually going to be here in a few weeks. He's going to come and, and share his testimony and preach for us. I'm looking forward to that. But his little brother um, was just, uh, just when he just was solid, just solid in his faith. Just growing. He, I called him my human concordance. I mean, when, uh, not concordance, I, I guess you could call it, that's what I called him. That's not really what it is. But when I'd quote scripture, uh, and I might not be able to tell you exactly where it is, but I'd quote the scripture, I would just look at him and say, Trevor, where's that at? And he more than likely knew it. And if he didn't know it, he knew the book and the chapter, and we could find the verse. I mean, he very, very smart, one of the smartest guys, and in, just intelligent-wise, I've ever met. And then scripturally, just remembered everything that he read. But he was broken over his dad, and he began to pray over witnessing to his father who had some very non-biblical beliefs about God and about Jesus. And he asked me to pray for him, and we prayed together. We prayed over his father. We prayed, and one day he went out, and he decided he was going to witness to his father, and he began to share the gospel. And as he began to share the gospel, his father got angry and as his father got angry, his father lashed out and reached up and grabbed him around the throat with two hands and began to choke the life out of him. And if it wasn't for the older brother running outside and seeing it and actually physically separating him, I honestly think his father would have choked him to death. And in that entire experience, his name is Trevor, Trevor never said a negative word about his father. When he gave his testimony about sharing the gospel with our youth group, he never said anything negative about his dad. When we would pray about his dad, he would ask God's blessings on his father. I, it, it, it amazed me because I'm just sitting there going, I don't know if I'd be that way. But what enabled Trevor to do that was not that he's just some special Christian. What enabled him to do that was Trevor lived a life that was marked by being transformed by the renewing of his mind. And his mind was taking the same shape as Christ's mind. And when he was persecuted physically, and we get ver persecuted verbally, and that bothers us, he was persecuted physically and was able to speak well, bless his father, speak highly of, and ask God's favor on. Now, why do we need to do that? Why is it important that we do that? Why do we bless our enemies? Well, I want you to think about this for a minute. Think of the impact that this type of reaction would have upon our enemies. If we stopped responding the way the world responds, and we started responding the way Christ would respond, and we started to respond with an idea of blessing instead of cursing the way Paul says, bless and do not curse. If instead of cursing those individuals, if we started to bless them, think of the testimony that that could have on the life of that individual that the Holy Spirit could use to point that person to the transforming power of Jesus Christ. That's why it's important. Like it's, it's important how we respond to our enemies because when we do this, it enables the Holy Spirit to come in and use that as a testimony on their lives. Whereas if we curse them, when we do the same thing the world would do to them, then the Holy Spirit is limited in their life. Why? Because there's Satan coming along going, see, I told you, there's no difference between Christians and the world. 
Why do you need their Jesus? Why do you need their God? They treat you just like the world treats you. You did something to them, they treated you the same way the world treated you. They, they, and so when we do this, it gives the Holy Spirit an opportunity to, to be used as a testimony in their lives. Number two, not only does he say who blessed them, but he actually tells us that we should repay them. We actually should repay them. But the way we we pay them is just not how we used to repay them. It's not what we would have done when we lived in the old life or when our minds weren't transformed or or renewed and we weren't living a transformed life. We don't repay them the way we used to, but instead we repay them properly. And to make this point, Paul actually reveals both ways of repayment. And I'm going to give both of them to you. The first one is the improper way of repayment. The improper way of of repayment. Look at verse 17. Verses 17 and 19 gives us both of the improper ways of repayment. Verse 17 says, Repay no one evil for evil. Now jump down to verse 19. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So when Paul talks about this improper way of repayment, he gives us two different ways that we should not repay our enemies. And the first one is, do not repay evil for evil. Do not repay wrong for wrong. Don't do what they did to you or even worse. And and sometimes that's the way we do it. We like to escalate it. Like they did something to this, we want to do something like that. One of of the movies I used to watch and watch several times is a movie called The Untouchables. And it's about... Elliot Ness and those that are trying to arrest Al Capone, and he, he enlists a, a, a Chicago police officer that is a lot older in the movie to help him because he's not having any luck. And the Chicago, I never will forget the first thing the Chicago officer said is the only way you can get to them is you have to go above what they do. If they put one of yours in the hospital, you put one of theirs in the morgue. And I, I began to think, man, that's the way we like to repay, right? We don't want to just do what they did. We want to escalate it. We want to make it. You made me hurt. I'm going to make you really hurt. You know, that's what we do. But he says, don't repay evil for evil. In math, when you multiply two negative numbers together, you get a positive. But in life, two negatives do not equal a positive. We, we hear that when we're kids. Two wrongs don't make a right. They don't. They never have. You know, we, we get... We get uh, we, when I, in my household or in my family, I used to hear all the time when, when someone bad would do something, somebody do something bad to you, you would hear somebody in your family would inevitably, in my family, would inevitably say, well, you know, the Bible says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And then one time I was uh, helping Jenna when she was uh, doing her uh, student teaching at Sulphur, and they were doing the Fiddler on the Roof. If you've never seen that musical, I love that musical, but I was helping them with that because they didn't have enough singers, and so... I was helping them, and then, and then I, I ran across this line, and sure enough, it's in the movie. I thought the guy made it up, but the, the villager uh, comes up to this main character and goes, as the good book says, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And, and Tevi, the main character, goes, very good. Then the entire world will be blind and toothless. That's what happens when you repay evil with evil. There is no good that comes out of evil with evil. And that's what we're called to do. He says, don't repay evil for evil. Because when we repay evil for evil, the only victor is evil. 
The believer, we're not victorious when we repay evil for evil. And we're not allowed, as Christians, we're not allowed to, to, we're not to allow evil to win battles in our lives. Look at verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We're not supposed to let evil win in our lives. And when we respond evil for evil, the only victor is evil. Matter of fact, 1 Thessalonians 5.15, Paul said it like this. Make sure no one pays back wrong for wrong, but strive for what is good. So we're not to repay evil for evil. And then he says in verse 19, the second way we don't repay is taking vengeance. We don't take vengeance for ourselves. I want you to know that's difficult. It's difficult not to want vengeance. I don't know if you guys have been keeping up with the trial of that Larry Nasser guy, the guy that molested so many of the, the gymnasts, the girls, the little girls, and they ranged in age, ages from really young to even older. The other day, one of the fathers was in the, in the room and, and asked, just literally asked the judge, would you allow me five minutes alone with him in a locked room? The judge said, no. He said, would you allow me one minute? And the judge said, no. And he said, I just need one minute and charged after him and was ended up tackled by four or five cops and was arrested. I, I want you to know, I, I find sympathy with that guy. I've got two little girls. And if something like that was to happen to them, I don't know that I wouldn't want to take vengeance. I'm not up here trying to preach from a standpoint of I've got all this figured out. I, I, I have sympathy for a guy. It's hard not to take vengeance. It's especially hard. It's in difficult. It's impossible if I'm not been transformed by the renewing of my mind. He says, don't take vengeance. But here's the key about vengeance. Vengeance will happen. But that's God's job. You see, God is the only one that sees all, knows all, and will judge all. And therefore, we need to allow God to work in those people's lives. We, and, and when we do this, get this, get this picture. We always wonder, how can we share the gospel with someone who's, who's done wicked to us or to someone we love that we want to repay evil for evil or we want to revenge or we want to avenge ourselves even? How do we get to where we can share the gospel to them? Well, when we stop feeling like we have to be judge, jury, and executioner and we realize that's God's job, then we are all of a sudden freed to share the gospel with them because it's not my responsibility to make sure they pay for what they did wrong. That's God's job. And he says that he will do it. If you look in verses 19, he says, the Bible says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. So we're not to take vengeance on ourselves. And then he goes on and he gives us proper payback. So we don't avenge ourselves and we don't seek revenge and we don't repay evil for evil. We don't we don't do what they did back to them or, or even worse. But he does tell us what we should do. And actually, he tells us a couple things in verse 18 and verse 20. Look at it with me first in verse 18. He says in verse 18, If it is possible, as much as depends upon you, live peaceably with all men. Live peaceably. When you and I are, are to, when we are transformed by the renewing of our mind, with one of the ways we pay back our enemies and those who persecute us is we pay them back by living at peace with them whenever possible. Now, we are to strive for peace. We are to be agents of peace in a world that is anything but. But do you note that what Paul said here? It's not always possible. Look, look at verse 18 again. If it is possible, 
if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. See, you and I, we, it, peace may not always be possible between you and the person that's persecuted you or who's wronged you, but that lack of peace should never come from you. As much as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. So instead of retaliating, looking to cause pain, we are to retaliating, we, we, we are to retaliate by seeking peace, by seeking peace. And then he says, we are to feed and water them. Look at verse 20. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. And I want to talk about the coals of fire in a little bit as we close in a second. But first, I want to talk about what he says, feed and water them. You see, instead of repaying evil for evil or avenging ourselves, we should bless them and then we should help them when the time arises. And trust me, at some point, your enemy is going to be in need of help. It may not be physical food. It might be. It may not be physical water. It might be. But we do know the greatest need that anybody has that is apart from Christ is food and drink that's spiritual. It's Jesus. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He says, I am the water. You see, they, everybody that's lost, people that don't have Christ, they have a deep thirst and a deep hunger. They may not even know they have, but they have it, and it's for God. And, and at some point, we're going to need to step in. And, and may, it, maybe it is through physical food. Maybe it is through physical water. But the point of the matter is not so much about the food and the water as it is that when we see them in need, we help them when they're in need. We don't make it worse. And this is not, these are not, by the way, none of these are just Paul principles. These are all Jesus principles. How do I know? Because in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says it. He, he says that we are to... Um, you have heard it said that love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's a Jesus principle. It's not Paul. And the idea of feeding and, and, and giving drink to your enemies, Paul even here is quoting an Old Testament passage. He's quoting Proverbs. He's quoting Proverbs chapter 25. And so the idea is not so much that, that we, we give them physical food and water, but it's just that we're willing to step in and help them when they are in need. Instead of doing what they would do to us, we go above and beyond. Jesus said it like this, when someone wants you to walk one mile, you go two, right? We go, we're to be extravagantly good back to those people. That's the way we repay them. And then look what happens. When we stop repaying evil for evil and we stop avenging ourselves and we begin to live at peace with them and we begin to help them when they have a need, look what the Bible says will happen. Look at verse 20. I love this verse because it's so misunderstood. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. That coals of fire on his head has probably been one of the most misused and misunderstood passages in the entire part of the Bible, even reading it in Proverbs 25. I've heard preachers say, what you're really doing there is when you do good and they've done evil to you, what you're doing is you're increasing their future torment. 
heard preachers say that. I've heard theologians write that in commentaries. I read some this week. I've heard them say, well, what you're really doing is you're bringing them to shame. To, to heap coals on, their fi- uh, coals on their head is to bring them to shame. So when, when they have wronged you and they've done evil to you and you turn around and do good to them, you're shaming them and you're making them look bad, which, to be honest with you, you do kind of look like a jerk when you've done something bad to someone and someone does, turns around and does something good to you, but that's not the idea here. See, to find out the idea, you actually have to go to the context of the text, and this is not a Paul principle. Paul is quoting Proverbs, so to find out what it means, you've got to go all the way back to the book of Proverbs. You've got to go to Proverbs chapter 25, verses 21 and 22, and you've got to understand in that day what heaping coals on top of heads meant in that day and here's what it meant in that day people they they warmed their homes and they cooked their meals with fire from a a wood stove okay that's how they warmed their meals or, or warmed their homes and cooked their meals but sometimes if they weren't diligent if you've ever been camping you know this if you're not diligent in the middle of the night what happens to your fire it goes out And then you wake up the next morning, and you're trying to get it relit. Now, we have it easy. We can just go buy a lighter or get some lighter fluid and dump it on there, put a couple logs on there, throw a match in there. It's burning, and you're good to go. But the problem is to cook on that kind of fire, your coals had to be at a certain temperature. So it wasn't so much what he's talking about here is not so much about heating their homes as it is with cooking. And the reason why we know is he says if he's hungry, give him something to eat. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. So he's talking about food and water. And in so doing, you're heaping coals on top of their head. And so he's talking about the food side of it, not the warming side. And so what they would do is when, when their fire went out and they got up the next morning and they needed to cook and they couldn't cook, they would actually have to go to their neighbors to get some embers or some coals in order to bring it back to their house and cook. And the way they carried their coals was in baskets on top of their head. And if you've ever been to that part of the world, they still carry lots of things on top of their head. But notice what he said. He said, you're heaping coals on top of their head. You see, the only way to ensure that the coals got from one place to the other place and were still able to be used for cooking was you would have to put more than one. And what he's telling them is you've got to, you're heaping good in them. You are going above and beyond helping them. Now, what happens when your enemy comes to you and their fire is out and they're needing to get warm or they're needing to eat? And instead of just doing the bare minimum, you're going above and beyond to help them. What's that do? Well, I like how the Bible commentary puts it. He says it like this. Sometimes a fire went out and he needed to borrow some live coals to restart his fire. And giving a person coals in a pan to carry home on his head was a neighborly act, a kind act. It made friends, not enemies, thus destroying our enemies. I like how he put it. And it reminded me of a 
quote by Abraham Lincoln. This is a quote. He was asked one time, why did he not to seek to destroy many of the Confederate generals and some of those that were in power in the Confederate uh, states when, when the Civil War was over and the Union had won? And he was asked, why did you not seek to destroy your enemies, but instead showed them leniency instead? Here's a quote from Abraham Lincoln. He said, do I not destroy my enemies when I make them my friends? You see, when we have enemies, we want to destroy them. We want to hurt them. But really, when someone goes from an enemy to a friend, we destroy our enemies. And that's what he says here. See, God does not want us to be nice to our enemies so that their judgment will be worse in the end. Listen, how do I know that, by the way? Because there are a lot of theologians that believe that. How do I know that? Because to say that goes completely against the entire text. From Romans 12, starting in verse, go all the way back to verse 9, talks about love being without hypocrisy. How unloving is it to say, well, I'm only doing this so your torment will be worse than hell? That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. You're taking something so far out of context. I couldn't believe the number of commentaries that, that said that. What you're doing is you're making their, their, their torment worse in the future. That's not loving. We don't do good so they'll suffer more. We do good so that we have an opportunity to give them what they need. And it may be physical food or water. It may be fire. It may be heat. But what they really need is Jesus. And when we don't respond evil for evil and we don't avenge ourselves, instead we strive to live peaceably and we go above and beyond to do good, we destroy our enemies by making them our friends. I'm going to close with a story and I'll be done. I, I've, I, most people don't know this, but when I was in the fifth grade, I had uh, surgery done on my ears. Um, I had very big ears. And I don't know if kids are still this way, but man, they were, they were awful. And not just kids my age, kids older than me. I can remember being in third grade and walking to a convenience store and a 16, 17-year-old, it was cold outside. I walked by and because my ears stuck out, they flicked me on my ears because my ears were red and cold and people were just mean. And it got, it got overwhelming. I, I, it, it, I was in a state of depression. I was hurting. I was angry all the time. I was fighting all the time. I hated it. And so my parents talked to a plastic surgeon, the one that did all my sister's surgeries from being uh, injured in the car wreck. And they said, we do have a, a corrective procedure and it's operation. We'll do that. And so they did. Most of you would never know. If you look behind my ears, you'll see two small scars. They basically pinned my ears back so they don't stick out as much. Don't really regret it. Mom and dad said that after I did that, I came out of my shell more. I was not fighting as much or anything like that. But one of the kids that, that made the most fun of me was the one that, after I had my surgery, came to my house to visit me and see how I was doing. And from that point forward, over the next three years, we went from being enemies to friends and by the time we graduated high school he was my best friend we don't talk as much anymore i've got three kids he's got two kids he's got his life i've got mine we don't see each other but when we do we pick up just like we left off 
You see, there was an enemy that was destroyed, and, and I would say he did a part of it, but I did a part of it because we stopped trying to hurt one another, and we started trying to live peaceably with one another and do good for one another. You see, he had real bad diabetes, real bad. And when we would go to camp, his dad would always pull me aside and give me a shot, a, 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 a needle. He said, you keep that with you while you go to camp because I know he's going to be with you all the time. And if he goes into shock, you've got to give him that shot. His dad trusted me with his life. You see, we destroy our enemies when they become our friends. And nobody will ever become your friend if you're repaying evil for evil and avenging yourself. 